please hear me out. Which is like, <laughs> guys, we're listening. This is our listening ears. Okay, I would go like, ahead. yeah, give give like I don't get enough airtime. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing. The numbers down. say otherwise. <laughs> Hey, lessons. <laughs> like that? Welcome. Another week of more or less. And hi, listeners and viewers, all you YouTubers. Thank you for once again joining us to get inside the back channel of all things happening in Silicon Valley. So we are excited to sit down with everyone here. Let's see who we got in the house. We got Britt and Dave Morin. The co-managing partners of Offline Ventures coming in all the way from Marin Mill Valley, California. Hey. Representing the north, hey. the northern part of the Bay Area. It's the North Bay versus the, more, the South Bay. Yeah, our logo. Yeah. No, no, we're not, we're, we're not South Bay. I keep learning this. We are mid-peninsula. No, it depends on your perspective. You're definitely South Bay. I get in a lot of trouble for saying we live in the South Bay with well, other people. I think you're right. <laughs> okay. Might as well be on Sand Hill. If you're south of San Francisco, you're in the South Bay. Well, the pool right? house is slightly no. south of the main house. I'm south of you. So. <laughs> yes. And coming in from the south side, from the south side of the property, Sam Lesson of Slow Ventures. How are you guys doing this week? Oh, it's been a week, Jess. I'm awesome. Mostly. It's been a week. Mostly a week and that we celebrated your gala, which you have lots of thoughts about. Oh, I love them. The so many NFL, thoughts. which I know Sam doesn't want to hear about. And oh, it's fine. But I will tell you, it is amazing to watch my wife, <laughs> who never has watched a football game, sitting there so not true. with their so football facts riveted, riveted in the 49ers <laughs> game. Coming into bedtime, Sam, it's a great game. Put the book down with your son and come watch the game. Guys, I've never been more proud. Dave Jess. and I were getting ready for bed last night, brushing our teeth and stuff in our bathroom as we do. And we were talking what? together and we were like, I feel like we really influenced Jess a lot this year. First off, it was the Taylor Swift. Greatest influence on me. Now it's the NFL. Family. Like, what will be next, Jess? Okay. We need some major fact checking. Major fact checking. I've been a Taylor <laughs> Swift fan for like the last decade. Okay. So, A, now have I followed every outfit she's worn, place she's had dinner, friend she has coffee with? No. Do I do that now? <laughs> yes. Are you guys? No, you moved to that? the Swifty category. You were just a fan, and now I you're moved a Swifty. So far, it's because the 89th, the 95th season of The Queen died, and so you ran out of content, and so you had to move on to Taylor Swift. It's, it's fair. True. I do think there's a relationship between the death of Lizzie and the rise of Taylor. In my Lizzie's opinion. death has done more for Taylor Swift than because, like, oh, just like everyone moved over. It's like basically the okay. second. The spinoff season of the Royals with what's his name? What's the prince's name that everyone hates? Harry. Harry. We're done with the that. Harry spinoff didn't work, and so the and so Taylor just took the entire Queen's audience. That's what happened. There's a lot to that. There's a lot to that. But I also just I, I my family has watched football for as long as I can remember growing up. I watched football. I had not been fo following the 49ers. and now I not only. 
did I watch the 49ers game second by second and almost hurt my jaw with <laughs> gasping with so much delight and drama. But then I had to follow up and watch Sunday's games because I really yeah. have to know what we're going on and what we're heading into. Yeah. The funniest thing of this whole thing, I always Jess, I have a, I have a gift for you. <laughs> oh my goodness, Dave! Dave is holding up a Forty Niners hat. I love it. How am I going to get it for this weekend? I have to. I, I have will to make sure this gets to you. A drone will deliver it to your house. Thank you. My Thank favorite you. is our kids do not watch linear television. They've never seen linear television, so they're watching this football <laughs> game and the ads. The car oh, ads. They love the ads. That, they love the car ads. Oh, you yeah. know, it's like unbelievable. Interesting. Everything's. It's like, you know, playing the game of what is this advertising? They're like, truck. No, it's the jingles <laughs> that they love. Liberty, liberty, liberty. That's the one Austin loves. Uh, and then BK, no, no, no. have it your way is the BK, second jingle yeah. he but loves. But it's just funny because like our children, have, they've never seen commercials. They, yeah. they only see YouTube and then we buy them premium because the commercials are terrible. And so like... I think they should see commercials. It's just like a rite of passage. What yeah. did... Lion had something else to say about the cars, like... Oh, I wish we wrote it down. It was really good. But but the, the sort of looking at football commercials through the eyes of a six-year-old is, is really something. So anyway, <laughs> we'll get to do it all again this weekend. Yeah. You know? Very exciting. Yes, this episode is also 349ers fans and Sam. <laughs> I'm not a not. I mean, can't, can't, I was watching Sam, this. are you going for Detroit? I liked Joe Montana. Oh I grew up watching the 49ers as a child. So we're at the information gala on Friday night, which was wonderful. Thank you so much, Jess. And the number of people that came up to us who are like top tier Silicon Valley people and were like, why does Sam hate football so much? <laughs> <laughs> was like pretty impressive, I have to say. I feel like there are way more mores in the crowd at the gala on the football front than... than Football's... I'm not, I am not against Sam football. Sam doesn't hate football, but I gotta say, I mean, it is just so... And I quote from last week, Sam, you said, does our audience really even care about football? Like, and you I, said listen, that word I, for word. I I burn I lit millions of dollars on fire investing in a new football league. So I That's get true, it. Sam That's true, actually. I just lit, just incinerated it, right? So yeah. I get it. I, I was at that it. table. Yeah. That's why you hate football now. <laughs> Investor trauma. Just, that was that was one of the funniest financings in the history of the world because a bunch of very without getting into details, and it was all done in good faith, starting with a bunch of people being like, wow, we can watch a football league for like $10 million. That seems like a really good idea. Like, let's do that. And football is missing half of the year. And then right? after like a few games, you're like, oh shit, we need like $100 million like yesterday. Like this is pretty expensive. <laughs> it was like a pretty funny <laughs> JV Silicon Valley tries to do something other than software experience. Is it just the, the talent's yeah. expensive? That's what creates... Well, you go to a football game, a venture-backed football game, and you say to yourself, <laughs> wow. <laughs> $10 million just buys a lot of shit. You're like, this is unbelievable. There's a stadium, there's dance, there's all these people. This is like really amazing. And you realize <laughs> that actually it costs a lot more than $10 million. Yeah. That's like the quick answer. Venture back football. So this is actually going to bring us to yet another theme that we have to talk about this week. Because another week, 2024, not being kind to the private technology markets startup landscape or the news business for that matter. A third of the LA Times' newsroom has been laid off over the past year. A quarter this week, that was the news. Was that like, like, like so three people? The <laughs> three of the last 10 people no, were laid off? No, 115, Sam, including Pulitzer Prize winners in their Washington, D.C. bureau. Well, can you hire them? Do you want them? The Pulitzer Prize winners. 
Yes, I can hire them. Will the prize get job security in 2024? I don't think so. Wait, didn't we also lose Sports Illustrated last week? We Did lost I hear Sports that? Illustrated. Well, we we kind of lost Sports Illustrated. Like we we're, we're set up to lose Sports Illustrated. Oh, okay. So let's see. We can take our pick. We can start with news. We can start with tech. Picture. Actually, they're not analogous, but. Yeah, and you've got the W what WWME whatever WME Netflix. Oh, sports coming to Netflix, or is it sports? They argue it's entertainment. Mm, it's definitely entertainment. Or is it really just the streamers spending more and more money to reacquire their customers? There's also, I like we're doing the brainstorm for the episode on the episode. This, this is great. Thanks for sticking with us, listeners. <laughs> but I also have to say, I think the story of Netflix is actually kind of incredible. It um, reported incredible earnings. Well, not incredible, but compared to the rest of the world going down, 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 Netflix is going up, up, up. And this was a company hmm. supposedly that was going to be killed by the streaming wars, and they seem to be doing just fine. So, well, let's start. Let's get through what's happening in startup land because this is, you know, part of our bread and butter. This week in the hot seat, it was Brex. You guys, anyone use Brex? Yeah. Anyone know the Brinko uses no. Brex? And by the way, remember the SVB collapse of a year ago? Yes. Brex actually gained so many more customers during that collapse. Well, it turned out they also had a lot of customers. I remember when we were auditing our entire portfolio, like something like <laughs> a third were using Brex and the other third were using Mercury and then everybody else was with SVB. Yeah. So Brex started, for those of you who haven't been following this closely, Brex many, many years ago got into financial services for startups through the corporate credit card business. And then I think like so many other fintech companies, direct competitors like Ramp, but you really see this with all of them, Chime and so on, they don't want to be point solutions. So you've got all these tech startups trying to disrupt parts of banking who kind of feel like they need to add services, add services, add services, be a platform, take deposits, give loans, you name it, and you name it. And I, from where I sit, you know, it's been really hard to see these guys to see them all really break in and and build the kind of businesses and up to the levels of valuation that they all promised their investors. So the news this week was Brex, 20% layoff, replaced, I think, CTO and COO, two members of the management team, all broken in the information. Did they also get rid of their Pulitzer Prize winners or did they kept them? <laughs> no, they kept them. Yeah. Okay. No, but I do see that they added AI as a feature. Oh, their homepage. <laughs> oh my goodness. Look, yeah. I think this is, so I think this yeah, is what's broader, happening here. Here's what's happening. There's a broader thing that's gone on for a long time, which is that basically if you think about how startups work in a lot of cases, in a lot of these types of verticals, you find one little hack and you ride it, right? And like you ride that hack for a while, but it's not going to last. And so at some point you have to say like, okay, my hack that I used to initially acquire customers or grow, the, you know, the way AWS is valuable is not any one service. It's basically the lock-in through having a thousand pieces, a thousand point touch points with them. The same thing with banks or any of these kind of commodity businesses in any single monoline thing. And so we've just seen this over and over again. You know, some things can get really big really quick, especially in the internet era, riding like a single hack pretty far. And the interesting question is, will venture capitalists then give them what type of valuation are they given or how much credit are they given for then actually the hard work that comes after that, which is platformizing and creating the deep relationships that are actually valuable with their customers? Because no one hack actually survives, right? And so I think what you're seeing is this kind of thing where because, I mean, we had this with DTC companies and early Facebook platform. People are like, oh, shit, we can deeply target people. Like, that means we can sell a ton of one product if we get really good at narrow and nailing it narrowly. We saw this with 
um, digital health, right? If you look at kind of the Romans of the world and things like that, they got really good at like single things. But the problem is, is like the enterprise value that the stickiness of it is super low because everyone else can also follow you and do that type of stuff. And the hard work is really becoming a platform. I don't think they'll all survive on this, right? I think some might make the leap, but it's not really clear you know, what the natural barriers are or like who's going to do that. It's going to take a lot of execution horsepower to go from giving someone credit for getting really big on one trick, right, to actually then having the, the, the relationships to create enterprise value with a bunch of customers. So it's all very like expected, to be honest. But it's interesting, for sure. Do you think it's just a hack? I mean, I look at this a little, uh, maybe a little bit more intensely that a lot of these are just good old fashioned normal businesses masquerading as technology businesses when sure. they're Absolutely. just not technology businesses, right? And like, Sam, you and I, <laughs> we, we fell trapped to this uh, in the DDC era, just like anybody else in venture in that phase where there were a lot of people that put a lot of capital to work trying to add technology to an old school business to see if it was possible to build technology margins and scale. And it just didn't work. And so is that what's really going on here with something like Brex, where like, this is a bank. And to build a bank, you've got a lot of labor and cogs and things built in that like, just aren't you know, it's just not pure technology. Like, you well, can't... it's not a bank. It started out being, it's not a bank. The question is, can you value it as someday becoming a bank? And how hard is that leap? I'll tell you, the interesting thing that I'm seeing is kind of the opposite. Like, we're really into this idea now because there is leverage in technology. And there are industries that, for lots of reasons, have historically been resistant to technology, right? And so there are opportunities in putting technology into those industries. The question is, what's the pattern for it? Is it the startup from zero with no customer relationships and no enterprise value and no profitability that can grow really big on a hack and then platformize and compete with Bank of America. That's one pattern. The other pattern, which we're really excited about, is the no, 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 no. Let's just like buy the incumbents, right? And you know that's what we did with this Metropolis deal, which is pretty interesting. We're like we had better, you know, the, the Metropolis team had better software for operating parking garages, but it just turned out that for a bunch of structural reasons it didn't matter. Like it was super hard to sell, right? Like the, the sale was, didn't, there was a bunch of reasons why the interests in that industry didn't care that the software could make them better margins and more money. What was the answer? Just private equity. You just buy the incumbents, right? And then make them more profitable and better that way, right? So like, this I think is this is like the question General of, Catalyst just bought a hospital, right? Yeah, I mean, this stuff... Made, well, think, General Catalyst has been doing this stuff forever, right? Like this is a... Oh, yeah, I just think this pattern. is the future where we basically like the the sale the good the basically the, if you think about it on a B two B side, there's the cost of sales and go to market, which is enormous, right? And there's a bunch of industries where it's nearly impossible, even though they would benefit from technology. On the consumer side, there's like the cheap acquisition channels that were opened up with hyper targeting, but in both cases, the question is what is that a bridge to, right? Like where does that get you, and like does that get you to actually dethroning Bank of America? Does that get you to dethroning? big health platforms or whatever it's going to be. The answer is no. Like there's just like, it doesn't get you dethroning AWS. Like, no, like there's like a thousand points, touch points that make them super sticky. And there's going to be new capital approaches and new approaches kind of hybridizing tech and VC uh, and PE that kind of say, yes, there is leverage in software, but we're not going to unlock it the way we've unlocked it over the last yeah, year. But I was just going to say that like, this is just private equity, right? Like you're doing private equity with technology. Right. Well, like, let's dig into let's stay on fintech for a second. Yeah, I want to well, hear from yeah. Britt. Britt, as an investor, also like reactions to Brex, but also would you invest in the fintech category now and under what set of circumstances? So I think with 
Correct. It's kind of what Dave was saying. They realized, uh uh-oh, we raised two years ago at a $12.3 billion valuation in the bubble. I'm assuming they've probably been trying to raise and haven't been finding much success. They are spending, they spent 17 million in burn in the last quarter of the last year. And it's just like the, the numbers don't work. And so with this cut, you know, they say that their financial plan is to be above cash flow, positive with the current cash they already have, aka they're intending not to raise or they're maybe doing debt or something, which means four years runway. So I think they're realizing, uh uh-oh, the venture capital dollars have dried up. I've got to be a real company now. I've got to be able to control my destiny. And and to Sam's point, they only serve less than 1% of the whole market. So it's like, even if you have hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, that's tiny in this market and you just don't have the distribution advantage. So I think it's really difficult in fintech right, right now to Sam's point. I'm not saying that the bigger players aren't trying to innovate, but I certainly haven't been wowed with what they're doing, but they still command such a large percentage of the market that they're kind of buying time to either like maybe roll some stuff up or build or do something to, to innovate in places where these, you know, multi-billion dollar fintech platforms are already operating. Well, it's kind of like when I mean, Zelle actually is pretty big, right? Like it sucks, but like pretty big. It's like, but like, you know, you talk about kind of how these things go. Like I just, again, I do think there's, I'm a huge believer that there are places for quote unquote disruption and new business models all over the place. But I just I think that in some of these industries that are regulated or highly complicated, health and fintech being probably the best examples, but there are others. It's just a lot harder than it looks to go from having a big headline MAU number and some revenue or like and some, you know, and some some you know GMV to actually being something with high enterprise value. And Britt, just to I think a the information reported Brexit is burning 17 million. Oh, a, a month. month. Okay, not a quarter. That, yeah. So that's Even a lot. Crazier. But is it? I mean, eh, like it's not. Gr- it's it depends what era we're in, and how big the prize. Well, is. I think we said that it, they were going to run out of money pretty soon. So I mean, no, twenty twenty six, twenty twenty six. I wouldn't obsess about the seventeen million a month. I mean, it is a lot, but like you know, the, the prize is big. Like if if they have a plan, right? Like I'm not. I don't think it's like an inexcusable amount of money to burn. But I do think the reality is they probably got credit for being much further along the platform and enterprise value case than they actually were, right? And if they're not going to get that credit again, it's an expensive down round to refinance yeah. it, right? And so they're they're trying to be responsible and say we'll take more time. I think their valuation is like at least three x overinflated, like twelve point three billion. Yeah, I mean they're you not know, also though, to Sam <laughs> and the point you were making about the platformization there being challenges to that. I also think you have to look at like, again, what is this market that you're in? I mean, these financial services are low margin, kind of big scale plays. And then you you kind of diversify and get a little better margin by doing things like lending or you tack on, not that that's high margin necessarily. Like, And to me, again, investors kind of wanted to believe that technology was going to change not just how you acquire customers and cut some costs out of the business, but the fundamental business models that these products and services are in. But now you just sort of have subscale tech companies, subscale relative to the big banks, like kind of in exactly the same business. Yeah, I mean, like even small banks haven't survived. Like if you think about like consolidation yes. in the industry, it's like you can't even be a good small bank. Like you, because of all the dynamics you're talking about, you have to like, there's a reason the whole industry is consolidated. So you basically have to have this theory that for some technological reason or customer acquisition reason, 
you can basically overcome all of that and scale so big and so fast that it doesn't matter. And I think that's like, again, is it if you want to dream and have to deploy billions of dollars of capital somewhere, like the prize is big. So like, maybe that's a bet you want to make. But like, it's a pretty silly one from a business first principles perspective. I'm curious what you guys make of sort of Stripe. I mean, so if you look at FinTech as a category, you've got companies like Brex and Ramp kind of coming at the small business through the cards, through other kinds of services. I mean, obviously the the big kahuna from a valuation perspective is Stripe. Still though, it essentially in a commodity kind of payments processing like business, I don't know, or, or should they be in this camp of sort of companies you're skeptical about or what do you think? That one's harder, you know. I, I, interesting as we've been talking, just looking at Brex and Ramp. I mean, these are two companies focused on the spend. <laughs> just to grossly oversimplify this, focused on the spending of money side of things, and Stripe's on the taking, receiving of money side of things. And they've also been just an extraordinarily good friend to developers, creators, you know, since really day one. Right? Like the reason that they took off so quickly was that. It was as simple as one API call or one pretty simple, I think, JavaScript include that you could throw into your site and start taking payments today. And their network effect has only increased over time. And so I think that Stripe benefits from a real network effect that these other businesses do not. And so you can get into the fundamentals, but the there is like a real and network effect. And then in the market, that, I mean, they also a year ago cut their valuation from 100 to 50 as they raised yeah. a new route. I just think all of these companies are having to correct themselves to right size for the market. Of course, that's what we've been talking about. I mean, everyone but the biggest tech company, big, or big is winning right now. So everyone but the biggest tech companies in the world is clearly in that boat. I mean, here's the interesting thing with Stripe. I mean, I like it as a product. I use it all over the place, right? Like, I think it's a great product for small scale businesses. You know, the problem they have is that once you have any scale, to your point about it being a commodity, you just renegotiate with them. Like no one pays rack rate yeah. prices to them like once they actually have real volume. So then the question becomes this interesting game of like, do you believe the future is more small apps making a little bit of money where Stripe is easy? You know, I I don't think there's an easy replacement for them if you're tiny, right? That's as good and it's a great interface and like there's a lot to really like about it. But if the reality is the future is consolidation to big players again, you know, whether it's an Uber or whatever, like where most of the volumes coming through, they're like, they will never be able to charge rack rate to those people because those people do have options, right? To process, it's worth it for them to look at a lot of more like things that are annoying to use, but cheaper and like do all sorts of other things. And so, you know, their ultimate value, I think there's this like interesting proxy bet where like Stripe is a very interesting proxy bet for the growth of small developers from a overall spend perspective versus like large companies, right? And if the future is large companies in this era, then Stripe is challenged. The future is a ton of tiny developers and they're in a really good place, right? Well, and there are two variables to that too. And we also have to, if you look at the customers, Brex and Ramp serve smaller businesses and startups. Stripe too, although, you know, maybe less so. No, and, Stripe definitely serves. I mean, that's their value at least. Like the GMV might be from the head, but the way they make their money right. is on the tail. And as we talked about at Nauseam, like that market might be contracting, might be growing, right? Is This is the classic, like, is a startup that whose clients are startups a good investment in a down cycle kind of point, right? And so, I mean, that's a little simplistic and we're I think we're past the dot-com bubble days where people imploded because they only 
their customers like went out of business. But I think it's not, it's probably still relevant. I mean, this may be also something affecting Carta and, and others. I mean, it's certainly kind of at the core of Silicon Valley Bank's problem with the venture industry not growing its deposits as much. So I wonder about that. I also think, you know, Stripe, I don't know, and I should know if it's still kind of calling itself the AWS of payments, but there was a period with all these companies back to Sam's platform point that their whole valuation, recruiting, so on and so forth was like, being this one-stop shop for all your services. And then it turns out again that they found that one trick or point solution kind of thing. And, and you know, that's really what they turn out to be. So I, I don't actually know the exact answer with Stripe, but I've sensed there's some of that and I hear less about, you know, the AWS of payments narrative. I also think you have to think about the Shopify factor here, totally. which is yes. that, you know, totally. when I talk about network effect, I I think of the network effect on the consumer side, right? Like, Sam, you're right. The developer, as it gets bigger, can swap out to some other provider if they have a better rate, like these types of things. But the real value they have in keeping Stripe that goes beyond just the actual monetary incentive is the identity layer that they provide where, like, you know, when I want to check out somewhere and I've already used Stripe on one site, like, every time I put in my phone number, it automatically recognizes me and it's a lot easier for me to check out if I've used Stripe somewhere else. And that's super valuable. The problem I is... That. I mean, I clicked the Shopify link. But Shopify also provides this, right? And Shopify is actually in a higher position Absolutely. in the stack with the customer. And so I kind of wonder, actually, as Shopify continues its sort of reign of the being the small business technology provider of choice... Like, do they begin to disintermediate Stripe and start to take away some of that, some of the leverage Stripe has in the ecosystem? Like, that to me is a more interesting question. I just wonder also from a history of like the industry perspective, like, I feel like the configuration of the industry for a long time was there's a bunch of shitty legacy players that do X and they're pretty good businesses, right? And then you can be the smart young kids who basically like, ooh, we're going to do it better, right? And like do it and like do it quickly. And we're going to ride the wave of early startups. And because you're competing just against the lumbering beasts, right, who don't get it, then like you can ride that really far, right? And really freely to like a really interesting place. And then you figure out where you're going from there. The reality of modern technology world is there's two problems with that narrative. One is like the big companies aren't as dumb as they used to be, right? Like, and so they might not be great, but they're kind of good enough. And the switching costs or like the changing costs and their, their advantages in other ways means that like, it's not so simple to just be like, well, our product's better and we're going to ride that. Two, the ecosystem is 10 times bigger than it was, right? And so any good idea is going to get done 10 or 15 times by actually good people, right? And so the ability, you know, you talk about the Brex versus Ramp versus whatever, right? Like that kind of space of like, it's a good business because it's a, a legacy business that we're going to do better that used to be like a reasonable way to approach building a startup. And I just don't think it is anymore. Right. Like I think that you need some, so you need a reason that's more structural about why incumbents can't do it. Right. And you need a better reason why you guys can and other startups won't. Right. than I think you used to. Yeah. And maybe you're saying this, but like, I think you need to be operating on a business model that is very, very difficult for an incumbent to switch to. Right. It needs to really hurt them to switch. It. Yeah. Like, that's why like, like no printing presses. Robinhood kind of did that, right? Like Robinhood was like, hey, we're going to do this thing 
with zero dollar trades, we'll just sell the data on the side. Don't worry about it. But like with zero, you know, with like free trading, that like the incumbents like structurally had a real problem doing right, and they were able to ride that pretty far. Now even they now are stuck in the same position where they have to come up with a bunch of other products. What's it really worth? But it is a ten billion dollar company, not a zero billion dollar company, right? Like it's not, you know. But I think that kind of question of like it used to be you just can assume that the people you're playing against the table on the other side who are big companies are dumb. Now it's like, no, they're not that stupid. You know, and they, they do have a bunch of advantages you don't. So you might get somewhere, but are you going to get to being huge? Meh, I don't know. And I guess that we can't leave this conversation without talking about crypto and what's going on kind of under the hood with crypto right now, right? Like a lot of the transaction costs that are part of the cost of these companies like Stripe providing their services, particularly cross-border and internationally, are like, you know, very real parts of the crypto stack are starting to actually attack at. And like, I think that's like actually an interesting thing going on right now that not a lot of people are talking about. I'm curious your thoughts there, Sam. Hell yeah. I mean, let's plug Mike Hudak and Sling, right? Like, which is freaking sweet, right? Like in terms of you talk about cross-border, like built on Solana, Rails, like the kind of next generation of how you do a bunch of this stuff. Like there's stuff coming. And I do think if you think about it, it's like the Stripe version of the world in that era was let's take a bunch of legacy, terrible infrastructure, terrible business deals. Hard, you know, I remember signing whatever it was, like the credit card, like credit card processing agreements, like before Stripe existed. And then even Braintree, which is the kind of the first shot, wasn't great, but it was better. They were like, okay, we're gonna take all the complexity and we're gonna hide it all and build like this API layer. So as a developer, you don't need to know anything about this. Just like put this JavaScript on. Sweet. But the gut still sucked, right? You're still building on terrible legacy stuff. And I think the promise of crypto is like to blow away all that, right? With a new ecosystem that actually is clean and well set up. And like, and look, there's that's fraught with challenges of its own, but it does mean that you don't need that shim anymore, right? Like on a lot of these things. And that, that is pretty disruptive, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm hearing, I've been hearing that in Latin America and other areas, there's starting to be payment providers that are doing their cross-border you know, settling, clearing, like payments related stuff, they'll do it on chain with a stable coin, and then just convert it back after the transactions over. And nobody even knows this happened. And like, to me, like, why is this like, why is this happening now? It it just takes some time. Like this has been the meaning five years ago versus five years ago. I just think it's been time. I think it's just time. Like people now look at this as a stable technology. A lot of these technologies are, despite big macro headwinds the last couple of years, things like Solana have continued to perform and make good on the promise that they started off with. And so you've got this thing happening where trust is just increasing and people are realizing that the tech actually does work. And it it didn't even a year ago. Like the tech does actually work now in a way that it didn't even a year ago. And then I think the stablecoin thing, people forget stablecoins aren't that old, right? Like, and it turns out that really mattered. Like the early Bitcoiners would say, you don't even, like you don't need a USD coin. Like you just trade it on both ends and like this is a hyper efficient market and blah, blah. And like that is intellectually true, but practically I think challenging for people to get their heads around. Whereas like, Stable coins, which do have some of their own challenges, but they've gone mainstream. No one, they're they're really boring, right? And people trust them. And I think that that's actually a really important step. So it's stable coins have gone mainstream. What do you mean by that? I don't use them. <laughs> stable coins aren't that old. And you look at like Tether, USDC, that type of stuff, right? Like that, you know, even a few years ago, people were like, 
pretty worried about their viability or like what's where the money is and things like that. And I think we've just gotten to the point rightly or wrongly where people are just like, yeah, this stuff is fine. It works. Do you, and by these, the stuff and these people, you mean like crypto? <laughs> I don't people? think it's like purely mainstream yet <laughs> to Jess's point. Mainstream to people in like the, in the right industries. <laughs> I just need to like, like we know four I don't think my mom is taking USDC yet, at least not okay. knowingly, but like, I just think it's okay. like, I don't think, the difference to my mom between like having a dollar in Venmo and having a USDC coin in Sling or something is going to be very, it's getting very minor. Right. Yeah. And just explain to me why your mom would have a USD coin in Sling, like if she wanted to send money to, you know, outside the US. In Sling, well, because I sent her a dollar. I don't know. I paid for gas. <laughs> like, it just, like, that's how the, like, okay. why does anyone have any Venmo, like, balance, right? Like, someone paid for some pizza. No, no, as opposed <laughs> to Venmo. Like, how is Joe Schmo Consumer, our great listeners of the pod, like, how are they going to be interacting with I would prefer, as a proud, you know, an original investor and advisor in Venmo, I'm very proud of Venmo and kind of my personal career history, and our dear friends, Cortina and Ikram, but like, it's not in a great place, right? As an app, right? It's, it is still big, but it's like kind of shitty. The app's kind of broken now. It's been, you know, owned by PayPal for the last decade. And they've kind of like, I don't know, I wouldn't say it's not usable. I certainly use it, but it's like pretty terrible experience. And like Sling is just clean and fast and works, right? And it runs on crypto rails, which does mean that internationally moving money is instant and free and all that good stuff. So like, it's not there yet, but I think you'll see that direction right and like my mom will end up downloading at the same rate you know the same reason she probably has square cash somewhere in her 15th android screen right <laughs> it'll, just, it'll just happen because someone will pay her in it and then she'll be like what is this you know and yeah. you kind of go from and there. and then and then she will keep using it because it's faster than venmo because it won't crash and it'll feel better and like when she wants to send international it'll work and like that type of stuff yeah internet so international seems to be killer use space that, that is the that is the stated killer use case but i think even domestically like you know all these apps have just gotten kind of bloated mm -hmm. and shitty right like I don't know. I mean, there's thing. a lot of emojis in Venmo, but other than that, I have no problem. Okay. I, I think I have a problem in Venmo because my handle is because I was, you know, one of the first 10 users is just Sam. So for decades, people have been paying me their rent. It's like, and then being like, oh shit. Or like, I get constant stream of requests me for too. stuff. I get some, I'm just Brittany, which is a weird name to call mm -hmm. myself because I've been Brit for a long time. But I get, I get multiple a day. Do you get this many a day? Like $20, I'm hungry. I do too. I'm just Jessica, by the way. So any of our listeners who just yeah. want to pay us, now you know. You can tip us, but you can't request money from us. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, it's like I get a constant stream of requests for tuition, a constant stream of, oh shit, I just paid you. Give me my money back. Yeah, they got to work on their spam filter on Venmo. Okay, but we do have a particular set of challenges around this. I got to say, I don't even mind using Zelle. I don't even mind using Zelle. I hadn't even heard of Zelle until we were in no, Hawaii and somebody wanted to pay. Kauai, Zelle in Kauai is like a thing. It is a thing. It, is there an app? I've only used it through Bank of You can use it through our bank's app. It just says send money and you click it. And it goes yeah, to no, sell. I, I have used that. And it's it's good for sending more lots of money. The problem with Venmo is because of all the spam and fraud issues. Like you send like $12 and it's like you are over your limit. <laughs> you and I'm like, I'm just spending Jean's <laughs> rent money, she sent me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, when it comes to fintech, let's say watch the space, shall we? Shall we hang a big watch the space sign on it? I mean, I think 
I think Dave and Sam and the crypto believers. I'm in the crypto believer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, big crypto. She's the only one of us. Yeah, we're all all crypto Yeah, that's true. Oh, I forgot. I went to your crypto conference. I'm all about helping women, especially learn how to. I'm trying to make this go mainstream to your mom, Sam. If everybody at that conference had bought crypto that day, a lot of them did. To be honest, yeah, that was a great conference. I was it at LinkedIn. Am I remembering in San Francisco? LinkedIn, San Francisco, something seventeen, and then I did another one in twenty early twenty twenty one. So. So it was the, actually, it sounds like, Britt, the answer is whenever it's time for you to do your next crypto conference, sell. <laughs> sell or buy. My nanny came. My nanny. Sell. It's like, free, you're like you hit it. It's like, no, when listen, my nanny came and I didn't, I didn't give financial <laughs> advice, but she bought a Bitcoin after this thing because she like learned about it. It was $5,000. It was her life savings. And she told me and I was like, oh, shit. Um, I was like, you know, this is really risky. Da, 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 da. And she's like, I'm just going to see what happens. And now it's 40. So like she is like super stoked. She came to my conference. That's a real, that's a lose-lose for you. It's like if Bitcoin goes down, then you lost your poor nanny who's working for you and probably cares a lot of money. And if it goes up, she's going to quit because she's too rich. <laughs> so like you're Bitcoin, screwed either Sam. way. Well, I think, I think the good news is now she moved on on her own later on. And I think now she's starting her own business because of that investment. Yeah. By the way, I've always wanted Bitcoin to exist. Bitcoin. Yeah. I'm just going to plug that for, for people to ideate on. <laughs> yeah, we're not. I, I I don't have the mental bandwidth to bring up that conversation. Right, we so forward. we're going to leave this one <laughs> where it is and I will have to prepare. Okay, fintech, watch this space. Let, let's talk media. Let's talk Netflix for a sec. I know I was talking about it earlier. I didn't we're look all, at these we're numbers. All in and around media. Was this yesterday? Yeah, they're up 13% or something, right? Yeah. Up 13%. I mean, basically, they beat analysts' expectations, which we all know is whoop-de-doo. But at the same time, what I'm struck by is, like, wasn't this supposed to be streaming Armageddon? Like, you know, wasn't the narrative that everyone would have their own streaming service and therefore, you know, there just, like, wasn't the kind of growth for the behemoths like Netflix? And then the cost of content was going to go through the roof. And yada yada. All the actors strike. And the writers strike. But isn't the writers strike good? No, because then they don't have enough content like, to be plugging for people to think their subscription is valuable. This is why we're watching on Apple TV right now. Netflix is. But here's the interesting thing it's like, let's pretend you woke up and like there just was no content made. Wouldn't that be good for the streaming? Because you're still going to watch shit, right? And you're just like, this is no, all crap. No, people cancel all the time. So this is why my least favorite streaming tactic is the sort of splitting the seasons of the hot new shows so you don't churn when yeah, the season ends. Yeah, this is ends. a big strategy. And they do this for everything. And I really don't like this strategy. I just would want... But Boy, of course, it sounds great. Well, I what just, do you not like then about I it? Want to know, I don't want to wait two weeks to get the next six episodes of The Crown. But you're like, not but, exactly the demographic that's going to cancel the streaming services when the show's over. I mean, like, obviously no, the other problem, which is we have, like, eight accounts on each of them because we keep buying new ones. and We actually don't. One Password has this very streamlined. Also, we always abide by the terms of service around sharing of the subscribers. I just want everyone to know that. I do have a problem with Netflix downloads being across too many devices, thanks to my children that is currently killing me. That aside, Britt, where would you put Netflix in the kind of media Hollywood? Yeah, I, I was also days? surprised. I didn't expect it to be this good. I, my, my personal consumption of Netflix has been down over the last six months, I would say, in favor oh, of no. splitting my time across other 
networks and platforms. So, you know, I was surprised to see it, but yeah, their revenue is up 12%. They added 13 million subscribers. So I think a lot of their growth continues to be an international. And I don't know about you guys, but I've been getting fed a lot of international Netflix content that's dubbed in English. So I think one of their strategies has been to figure out how to utilize their content library more efficiently so that the volume of content does make the consumer feel like there's just a plethora of supply, even in these new markets they're opening up to. We're watching Tears of God. No, we we plugged. We talked we about it at the last gala. week, right? Yeah, drops of you God. guys. We have to talk about the churn rate here. Like, I'm looking at a churn rate chart. It's high. It's high. I mean, they've it's gone from Leaking below two percent in January of nineteen to two percent per what per month to now they're approaching four percent. So, it's to me that looks like they're losing anywhere from. I don't know, 50 million users per year in 2019 to close to 100 million per year. Well, to be clear, if it's 4% a month, they're losing half their... They'll reacquire half their users every year. Like, that's a crazy bad business. The question is... But the question is the cost of reacquisition and what churn means. Like, are people just churning in that they're, like, canceling, but they're clearly going to come back? And so, like, the cost of reacquisition is, like, having a show where they click on an email... Right, I just think it's like there's soft churn and hard churn. I agree. Like you can't lose half your your customers every year forever at that scale and not run out of customers. If they're like, I'm never signing up for Netflix. Like that's again. crazy, Sam. You have to acquire a hundred million people every year. Like that's nuts. It's really I agree. Hard. Obviously, the question is just like, what does that actually mean? Because if I could totally imagine, like there used to be people at like places like uh, Meta, Facebook, who were called the super log outers who would literally like they did not want to be active on the when they weren't using so they literally like every day or in every week cancel their accounts and then just when they wanted to use Facebook like turn it back on Dave's point is about the trend though like you could come up with any way to compute it and find fault with it but like there's a clear trend here is that your point Dave Yeah and like you look at you know since we were talking about the NFL earlier like what 2 weeks ago Peacock bought the exclusive rights to the NFL games. And, you know, they apparently acquired a ton of subscribers. And at the time I was thinking, wow, that's amazing. But then I went and looked at their churn rate and their churn rates way worse than Netflix. I just go ahead. I hear you, but just hear me, which is like, okay, you have two strategies, right? In these things, please hear me out. Which is like, <laughs> Guys, we're listening. This is our listening ears. Okay. I would like, yeah. Give, give, like, I don't get enough airtime. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing the numbers say otherwise. (laughs) I just want to just be clear about what churn means, right? Like, if you have like hard on file, right, and you're paying month to month, and then every month you're like, am I done? Is there something I want to watch? Or do I quote unquote cancel, but my card's on file? And the second thing I watch, I come right back and it's a totally easy experience. That's a different type of churn than being like, I'm actually can't, I'm done with the service and not coming back. And I think the reality is at Netflix scale, they could have a choice. They could say, hey, we're only doing annual plans or 10-year plans, right? Mm -hmm. Then their churn would look like zero, right? But the reality is they'd have to discount every month. The other strategy is you charge more per month and accept more month-to-month churn, but it's not actually like... It's not like software churn where like you're like, I'm done using Figma forever, right? It's like a different type of churn. And so I just think it's like, I hear you. I don't think it's good, but I don't think the fact that like they have to quote unquote re- saying they have to reacquire fifty percent of their users every year can mean very different things. And there could be a logic to it, which is charge more per month and accept the fact you will super log out effectively, 
or charge less and try to have annuals with lower churn but less money. Well, it comes to, also comes down to like what do they have to do to to acquire these people? Is it is it about just like investing totally. in original content, which like seems it like it's like not clear that's totally working. Uh, like the churn rates are going up despite the amount these guys are having to spend on original content. But they're charging more too. I just wonder again. Yeah, I'm not arguing. Right. I'm just saying like. I would rather churn half my audience a year, charge $100 a month and have to reacquire them with a single email being like, we have something you want versus charge $100 a year and lose no one, right? But make less money. So I just, Mm -hmm. I think it's a pricing strategy question as much as there's anything else. Do you guys think that they should do more with like in-app purchases to add on to like differentiated revenue models? Like I'm surprised that there's not a way to sort of... Aren't they doing that? I thought they were adding games now. They're experimenting with it. And they also have like live experiences. Yeah. Like there are things I would pay for that I'm on top of my subscription where I think they could. But meanwhile, like I'm really into YouTube TV for this reason, right? Like YouTube TV. That's where I watch football. Guys, I called it. YouTube TV is going to win in the long YouTube TV is amazing. It's so expensive. It's the same amount as like direct TV costs. (laughs) You get... It's like $70. it's more. It's like 70. That's like how much a cable subscription costs. But it's what a cable subscription costs. Well, but that's the point. Well, look, I get it, but we don't watch it. Like, and we get ads on it too. It was, I'm the one who paid. I will Perfect. use it for the Oscars and we will have used it five times this you year. You guys are abnormal <laughs> TV watchers. We watch a lot of TV in this household and we 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 get a lot of value out of our YouTube TV I mean, subscription. Not, I, to, be, to be clear, I think it's great too because I would never pay for, and deal with Comcast, right? Like for a cable subscription. So like I'm happy to pay it and we do, but it is kind of a funny, you talk about super churning. I actually at one point, I, I bought it. We, we we basically pay probably fifteen dollars an hour, given our <laughs> level of use of right of of YouTube TV. Actually, more, it's not like, too bad. Maybe even a hundred. But I that's a good example of a churn. Where like historically, yeah, I, I have churned on that and come back because I'm like, this is like a bill we don't use. But you know, in this moment, I still I do have an active account. What else should we be family. watching live? This is a, a genuine question. Television watcher more in sports like, and major events like the Oscars and the Grammys and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. But you you guys are so old. No one watches this shit. Yeah, anymore. I mean that's what it that's the truth is that it really does like Gen Z sports. does not watch sports. Live TV. I think that yes. Mm, I don't know. They certainly don't watch when the they're Oscars. Like Thirty eight and <laughs> wait, but were we talking about media, Jess? Like I thought this was bigger than just yeah, Netflix. Yeah. No, no, it is. But I mean, Netflix is pretty big. I, I also think, I think Netflix is important in part because big is winning. We were mm. talking about that earlier. And yeah, but the business model is kind of challenged and shaky and there's a lot of headwinds, but big is still winning. And I think that like just shows big is big. Big mm. is in. I don't think this does actually, this relates to our payment conversation because part of the reason you have churn numbers is, is if you have card on file, and it's so easy to just pay for another thing. And then, like, why bother, like, saying always logged in, right? Like, why not just use it on demand? Like, that's going to be the interesting challenge of all this stuff. Yeah, if they make it so easy to watch and then you want to watch the next it's season. It's too easy to crowd. cancel yeah. and your card's on file right. and you just, like, say, like, fine, click a button and I have my live event and then I'm done and I cancel. Like, that's a very reasonable consumer experience, right? And that's not the dynamic. The cable company had a bigger moat, you know? Yeah, you gotta. Like, I mean, the the moat was how terrible support yeah. was, and that stupid box you had to return. Right? It's like no. So one's now gonna... we're seeing just to bring the streaming to a close, and we can end on the incredibly optimistic note of the future of news. This will be like news oh, corner. I got one. Maybe I got we'll one. need a pop culture corner, Brett, to to balance it out. But 
Now we're seeing, okay, so you're seeing the streaming rebundling. So I know I'm going to get the details wrong, but uh, let's Mm -hmm. Mm use Charter. That's John Malone's cable company. When they were renegotiating with ESPN and Disney, they had their fight over the carriage fees. And the solution was actually also addressed kind of incorporating and bundling their streaming products, right? So at the same time that you're seeing, you are seeing a shakeout with there being too many streaming products. And and then you see people like Amazon or Verizon or the cable companies themselves kind of try and rebundle those. So we're also in that crazy phase of this whole thing. We're also in the phase of then dual business modeling. So for all its help, I don't think, or for all its relative success, I don't think Netflix's ad business has taken the world by storm. So I think a lot, many, many more shoes to drop, but it's just kind of interesting to me that the big has not died. Yeah. It's like the winners are Netflix and YouTube TV. Dramatically. <laughs> and like two of the five yeah. letters in Fang. Is YouTube TV popular? Like I should know this, but like how is that yeah, product it doing? It's growing really I'm fast. I'm long YouTube TV. I put my chips on YouTube TV. Sam's shaking his head. I know, but I... Great, you worked on Google TV. You're, 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 this is in your DNA. Most people like to watch a lot of different types of television, live events, all these different things. And what unbundles is bundling back right now. I think we're on the upward trajectory of bundling. I think YouTube TV has the best bundle by far. And I think people are tired of paying for 20 different streaming services. They're already paying 10 bucks a month for 20 things. They might as well pay 70 or 80 bucks a month for like one thing and maybe a couple others. And I think over at the end of the day, they're going to want to get back into that. Wow. I just looked it up and it is... Dave, bring in the facts to the convo every week. We love you they, for it. Uh, they added 600,000 new customers in the third quarter of 2023. It is now at 6.5 million TV customers, which would put it in fifth place just behind Dish, which has 6.7 million. Comcast has 14. Spectrum has 14. DirecTV has 11. So YouTube TV is like, that's non-trivial. It's half the size of Comcast. So the other theory, I mean, Sam, your point earlier about, you know, the insurgent, if as the incumbents get stronger, the bar is higher for the insurgents to compete and have to find really differentiated ways. I mean, YouTube was the insurgent. The Kayla companies are were the incumbents. If you wait long enough, sometimes it just happens. I mean, I think that's literally what's happened here with YouTube slash Google and television. Like they just stayed in the game. Well, they also have, they have two things, incredible convenience, right? Like it's accessible everywhere on everything. It's like every TV, every, you can get on your computer, your phone, whatever, but they also have an insanely differentiated content library. Personalized data. Like they know you way better than Netflix or any other streaming service. Yeah. They asked me some weird questions from the quote unquote knows me. I mean, I think, Look, here's the reality. One, all startups eventually end up looking like the people they were competing with and they get big enough over enough time. Like that's just how the life works. Right? So it's kind of fun. If you, if you survive, you yeah. You okay. end up becoming exactly what you set out to fight. That's how it always works, right? Two, I just point out just in terms of a few things. Like two, the insurgent is not is TikTok. The insurgent is not like no. other streamings. It's like the question is just like where are you spending your entertainment time? And like it's not like one does the other. Third thing I say, the bundling thing, I get it, but I got to say I'm a little skeptical it's going to work that well from a long-term business perspective because here's the problem. To the point about super cancelers, 
you hear about a show, you're going to watch the goddamn show. Do you care if it's on Apple or Hulu or Netflix or whatever? Like, I agree that there's a segment of consumers that will just like binge on a single service because they paid for it. Yeah, I mean, Peacock proved that, right? But like, the reality is, is like, you're just going to watch whatever is good and you'll cancel the things you're not using. I think most people are so price constrained that they don't want to forget to have to cancel. Like, ten to fifteen dollars a month is meaningful in a monthly budget, and. I, of course it is. But, but they're I think not going to also just join new things to watch one show. Like I know a bunch of, you know, 23, 24 year olds who are not, who are like, oh, it's on Paramount Plus. Like, I'm, I guess I won't watch it then. <laughs> well, Paramount Plus is the fucking worst because they somehow <laughs> serve me ads even when I paid for it, which I do That's not That's because in Amazon, we click Amazon, you know, that button is the bane of my existence. More ways to watch this. It's like, no, I want the one way to watch it. If you click the more ways to watch, you can get... 14 different versions of Yellowstone. And how do you know? And then you click right, Jess, on the so one my with suggestion ads. is this is January. Let's flag this to come back to in December and see who had who was more right on their trajectory. Well, I will say, I'm willing to say that I even I will say YouTube will definitely have more subscribers <laughs> than Dish by the next time we check in on this. That seems obvious. And Sam, funny enough, I'm staring at the data and Paramount is actually growing and its its churn rate is growing. Basically, the most aggressively on this whole chart. Yeah, I'm not long Paramount. Just for the record, yeah, I think we should define again. My my episode is like define what churn. Churn is a complicated concept, right? Yes. By the way, we're hiring um, a retention expert at the information. We have fabulous retention, but we, you know, this is a hot area. So if you're interested in what Sam said, call me. And if you're not. I would understand. The most impressive numbers on this chart are actually Apple TV. They're consistently improving their retention over time. Dan, I have to look at this chart. The third parties just guess. It could be right. It no, could it's be wrong. antenna. They've got a lot of data. Yeah. That's because Apple's like, if you if you unsubscribe from Apple TV, we'll brick your phone. And then <laughs> yeah. like it's like, okay, I guess I'm gonna keep subscribing. I saw um, Oscar nominations out. I get so many press releases, but Apple got what thirteen nominations according to my inbox, which was double their. Oh, thank you, Dave. It looks really authoritative. <laughs> no, antenna's real. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I've never heard of it. They should call me. But anyway, Oscars, Killers of the Flower Moon. We just finished it. It took us like four days before bed, forty-five minutes each. Yeah, and it is a good story that could have been done in two hours, but like Scorsese wanted to elaborate. Oh, I don't like that. I just started That's thinking of it as a series that I was watching. I would watch it until I got tired and then just yeah. watch the next amount the next time I had time to watch. And I think that's actually must be why they're doing this, right? Like I, I had heard in the back channels that the reason James Cameron did Avatar for that long was that he was just like, yo... People are binge watching things these days. Like, why not hmm. take the story as long as I want to take the story? <laughs> it's a thousand TikToks. Yeah, people will just yes. Oh my god, that's fine. You got two TikTok mentions in this episode, and I only promised you one. So. <laughs> I remember, but last TikTok mention, last time I mentioned is TikTok needs to be banned in the United States. Thank you. That's <laughs> and I agree with Bring, Pam. bring us. It, this is actually a pop culture mm-hmm. important time. I mean, yeah. we're, we're entering. We're in award season. And Ken got the got the nod. I do think that all the headlines being like Barbie movie and Ken got the nod is oh like they're pretty. God. It is pretty funny. I think they did it on purpose. Here's the thing: funny's not Guys, the word I would step use. Step back, step back from politics. Step back from all things. Just like if you're eating popcorn and being like hilarious, it's, it's ironic. World is hilarious. It is funny 
that Greta and all the women did not get the nod. Okay, I would like to know the gender breakdown of the Oscars voters. I would love to see the gender breakdown. I think Newsom should require it as part of the new 2025 bill. (laughs) Guys, in the summer, everyone thought that Ken stole the show. Like, that was the thing. Greta Gerwig stole the show. Ken stole the show. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Gender. Gender. We can go back to the episode. I promise you. Ken did a nice job. Ken did a nice job. I, I enjoyed I enjoyed that movie in its entirety. Men All I know is the Oscars did this on purpose because they could not have bought better PR than what's going on right now. Nothing like a good culture Cancel war. Insurance. Everyone yeah. loves a good culture war. I mean, the dresses on the red carpet are going to really be something. Brit, bring us to some pop culture insight to take into this weekend because we don't have enough right, to be yeah, excited apart about. Apart from the Go Oscars noms uh, being out on the market, I got some false eyelashes done by a robot. And people are really interested in this apparently because it has like 50,000 views already on Instagram. But yeah, I sat down on a bed, laid down on a bed and had a robot with sharp tweezers like millimeters away from my eyeballs putting false lashes on me. And it was a fascinating experience. And so um, I'm, I'm thinking about the future of robotics and how that impacts beauty and how that impacts mm. food. There are now like nail salons that will do your nails for you that are robots. There's like eyebrow stuff you can get. So Sam, okay. When I talk about this, the men's faces glaze (laughs) over and the women are like, tell me more. Yeah, but Sam, why are you negative? Negative is a strong word. This thing my dad taught me when I was a kid. He said, Sam, never, ever, ever compete in a business against people who don't pay their taxes. And my sense is that the lash people and the nail people do not pay their taxes. So it's going to be an uphill battle, right? Because in terms of actually adding it. Interesting. Hmm. That's why, for instance, dry cleaning is a terrible business. Dry cleaners don't pay their taxes. So even if you have a better dry cleaning service, you're going to lose. robot can do the work of a human five times faster and for less money. Yeah, I get it. I just think the robot has a disadvantage because the robot has to pay taxes. I don't know. And like, I think that's the a future problem. of... So my, hmm. my headline is, I think that there is a future industry within the beauty and wellness category that robots will break into and disrupt. So watch this space. Hmm. I'm definitely, we can definitely do a wellness corner. I have a lot of thoughts. Two things that were told to me at the gala, by the way, a lot of talk about peptides (laughs) and a lot of talk about colostrum face so serum and if you know what colostrum is it's the stuff that comes out before we can breast skip milk that that's one. yellow we can skip them i get i get ads on instagram for colostrum drinks do you get those and meanwhile i checked with my doctor and all of this is nonsense no peptides are great my hair and nails there's absolutely so fast. no science i just do my hair and nails grow fast i think it's placebo i think yes. you're willing it to happen sam no, no. I think that works. But you, I mean, we could do a little peptide episode. It'll be our most controversial yet. I've actually got a great doctor we can bring on that's quite good at this stuff. <laughs> no, we don't want an expert. <laughs> Dave with the facts. Dave with the facts. Okay, listeners, you stuck <laughs> with us. Thank you. Another fun week. So much going on. I'm ready for January to be over mm. because it, it is a, a tough and busy month. But next week, we next week. will be back next week on on look on location if I can figure out oh, guys, how to guys, do that. Guys, guess what? I have another pool house guest. Can you say hi before because right. the episode's over? Okay. Absolutely. This is like a game show Who where we're it? guessing who's behind the wall. Okay. I think it's an I think it's a yeah, founder, okay. not an it? investor. Who's it? Who's it? Who's it? 
I see him walking in. There's a backpack. Okay, there's a backpack. I think it's a man. Everyone meet Paul. Hello. Paul is oh, my hi. next Oh, I don't know Paul. Come on, come closer. Come closer. I this podcast. You, you know the song. Welcome, yes. welcome to More or Less. Surprise guest. <laughs> Surprise guest. Yeah, I'm here. This is the year of guests. So Paul and I have a meeting next. But Paul, you want to you wanna tell the More or Less crowd what you're up to before we sit down and have a real conversation? Sure. I'm working on my second startup, my first startup, Slow Ventures Backed. Thank you, Sam. Hell yeah. With human interest, uh, we help small businesses and startups offer foreign case to their employees to date over 15,000. Yeah, you were very early customers. Thank you for believing in us. I wonder how that happened. Yeah. (laughs) What's the new company? What's next? (laughs) What's next? Naturally, my next company is in gaming. I'm making video games. Departure. I love it when founders do this. We get LPs all the time who are like, why would you bet on that founder's second company when it was so different from the first? (laughs) Like like founders are just curious people. What I really enjoy about it is I go to, I meet gaming people. I meet like really great game artists and so on. And I tell them about human interest and they just don't give a fuck. They just don't know what YC (laughs) is. They just don't care. So it's sort of like being a beginner again, which I enjoy. I love, I love challenging myself. Um, so yeah, we went through Speedrun, which is Andreessen Horowitz's new YC-like program for games companies. We're in the first class of Speedrun. And hopefully we'll have something new to share soon. You can follow us on Twitter at ElsewhereZone. Great. Can I love I? this. <laughs> I love house. it. This is a good pitch. This is awesome. It's Elsewhere like, it's, zone. yeah. I'm, ba- I'm going to put a meeting after every more or less you episode. Should say, let's go. Make a thing. This is great. All right, guys. Thank okay. You. See you next. Bye. Bye, guys. We'll see you soon. Thanks to our back channel, our listeners, our social media friends. Share the love, share the clips. There are going to be some good clips from this episode, by the way. So share them. Uh, All about Sam and his. Jess, I'll get your hat down to you. I got to wear it, Dave. Got to wear it. (laughs) Yeah. Can't wait. See you guys soon. Bye bye. If you enjoyed this show, please leave us a virtual high five by rating it and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. Find more information about each episode in the show notes and follow us on social media by searching for at more or less, at Dave Morin, at Lesson, at J Lesson, and as for me, I'm at Brit. See you guys next time. <laughs>